2020 was a year of surprises, to say the least. An amalgamation of trials and victories, pain and reflection, change, and a lot of the same thing every day. And while there's no denying the difficulties the year brought, I was astounded by the creativity, courage, and resilience of so many people. Today, I want to introduce you to one of those people, someone who chose to put a hidden talent on display in order to help tell the story of 10,000 brave children who escaped Nazi Germany in what became known as the Kinder Transport. You're listening to Past, Present, and Future, a podcast by Quellen International. I'm Micah Daly. Back in early 2020, among the flurry of lockdowns and stay-at-home orders, artist and Holocaust educator Caroline Slifkin, along with Amy Williams, who just finished her PhD on the memory of the kinder transport, began working on a project entitled Keepsakes of Kinder Transport. Together, they called on kinder and their families, as well as students and academics, to contribute reflective art pieces. And this collaborative history and art project is what prompted my Zoom call with this person. Well, my name is William Niven, but I'm supposed better known as Bill Niven, at least to my students. And uh, that's also the name on the books that I've written or edited. I'm a historian, a German historian of Germany, uh, mainly the Nazi period. But over the last 15 years, I've concentrated particularly on memory of Nazism and one of the themes that I've been looking at is the kinder transport. I used to work as a translator for Siemens in Munich, and uh, and there I uh, I witnessed the way the Germans struggle with their past, and I thought this was something quite fascinating. I hadn't encountered this in Britain, where no one seemed to have any problems with the past. Uh, so uh, seeing that at first hand impressed me enormously and moved me too, and got me interested as an academic later on in why it happened and what it meant. That is also the link to the kinder transport. I'm obviously interested in the history of it, but I'm also became, became interested in the memory because it seems to me that the kinder transport got into German memory quite late. If you, like I was, aren't familiar with the kinder transport, don't worry, because as you just heard, Bill is more than qualified to tell us. Could you go into a little bit of what the kinder transport is for people who may not know uh, what that what that is? Yeah, well, after, I mean, you'll have heard of uh, Reich Pogrom Night in November 1938, um, when the Nazis destroyed uh, Jewish synagogues, shops, businesses, flats throughout Germany and, Aust- and Austria. And following that, um, quite a number of Jewish men were interned in concentration camps. Um, and that left many, many children exposed, Jewish children exposed. And it was becoming clear that violence was on the Nazi program. I mean, up to that stage, Jews had been discriminated against and persecuted by all manner of means, but violence had been not systematic. So Jewish organizations and also organizations that supported um, Jews in Britain and in Germany set about trying to help children, Jewish children, escape the Nazis from Germany, Austria, and in 1939, Czechoslovakia as well, and also some children from Poland. Wow. I think about 10,000 children came to Britain. It was a big rescue operation, but without the 
efforts of individuals, courageous individuals, and also determined groups, mm. it would never have come about. Wow. You've dedicated your your life and career to, to studying and researching this. So I wanted to hear yeah. a bit more on how it's impacted you personally. Well, I think I've always asked myself why I got into the topic in the first place. And I mean, the reason I, I gave you was that when I was in Germany and working for Siemens, um, I, I saw you know, what was happening around me. I saw this interest in the past, but there was another reason and it has to do with my father because um, he was in the Far East at the end of the war and I think he was involved in either liberating some prisoner of war camps or at least he saw what had happened in those camps. I'm not quite sure which. And in his later life, he tried to understand what he'd seen. Um, and to do that, he bought books about the Holocaust, mm-hmm. interestingly. Yeah. Uh, and he gave me those books afterwards. This I was how old? Maybe 15, 16. And that's when I started becoming interested in the topic. Um, and also in the impact that seeing those kind of atrocities can have on somebody's life. And then, of course, eventually on the impact those atrocities have on individuals, obviously, who experience them directly, but also on society. Mm. So maybe my interest started there. Maybe that's how I got into it. Um, I've also I've often asked myself why I've gone on exploring this rather than just being what some people call a straight historian. So sometimes I get people, they say to me, why don't you just do straight history? <laughs> But I, I can't really do that. I think I'm just always interested in how things get processed in the mind yeah. um, and how they find shape and form in memorials and museums uh, or political debates, social debates, anything like that. It's just fascinating me. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's also because I spent a lot of my time as a youngster, I remember, trying to work out why I felt certain things or thought certain things. I was always kind of work my, trying to work myself out. Sounds like a little bit egoistic but so maybe 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 it has a little bit to do with that as well I, I i it's always difficult to ask a researcher why he or she researches what they do and the answers we come out with always sound not quite right somehow but that's the best i can offer there's probably there may be something i'm still missing but um i can't see what it is right now yeah. Yeah. while bill may still be working out what drove his interest in german history He seems much more in touch with the why behind the hidden talent I mentioned at the top of the show. You just met Bill Niven, the author and professor, but now I'd like to introduce you to Bill Niven, the pianist. Tell me a bit about your musical journey. You know, how long, when did you start playing piano? How long have you been composing and writing music? Um, Well, to be honest, I don't actually write music. I I improvise an awful lot. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I learned piano at school. Um, I don't think I was very good. I mean, I managed to get to grade seven or something, but I was always being told that I couldn't concentrate. And instead of actually practicing my scales and the pieces I was supposed to be doing, I would improvise. I mean, in a sense, it was good to have something in my life that didn't have to do with discipline because, you know, there was discipline in my childhood. There was discipline at school, even regarding the piano. Um, And there's discipline in the work I do. I mean, writing academically is, it's fun, but it's also, it needs discipline, you know. I've always done it as a private personal thing when I felt depressed or down, Mm. usually then, to go to the piano and to play. Um, And I just found it offered a tremendous consolation, a solace to me in those moments to be able to express my moods. Also, I would sit down when I was feeling cheerful too and play happy pieces, but often it was when I was feeling more down that I found music was an excellent way to express that and release it Hmm. so it was always something I did for myself but until 
recently, I'd not really taken it seriously as something to present to others. I think mm. that would be true. Yeah. Can you walk me through your recent composition roots? Well, it came about because Amy Williams and Caroline Slifkin um, were doing a project on the kinder transport. And I thought, well, maybe maybe I could do something musical. And, and you know, they encouraged me to do this. And what I, I, initially I thought to myself, well, what am, you know, you always think, what would I do? What am I going to do? But the interesting thing is that I decided to myself it shouldn't be anything Jewish. It wasn't to sound Jewish because many of the, the kids who went on the kinder transport were not Orthodox Jews. You know, they were secular Jews or they weren't even Jews at all. Well, they were only Jews in the eyes of the Nazis. Mm. So I wanted to have a kind of music that did not sound too specifically Jewish. But the first thing that happened when I sat down was that something came out that I think sounds Jewish. <laughs> I, I don't know if it does, but I, I think it probably does. And, my, and, and I did have a moment where I thought, no, I, I can't do that. But it just wouldn't go away. Yeah. The music insisted that that's what I had to do. Um, and so I started um, with this melody. tried it in various directions and I eventually thought no that's the way I would like to fix it so I wrote the melody down and then what I do, I do is I play the melody I play it once or twice and then I see what happens mm. and what I, what happened with this is that I found quite quickly I was developing into a dance and there mm. are moments in it where it sounds as if it's moving towards a dance and again I thought see you see I do control myself even when even when doing my improvisations I, I, I think maybe what I said before wasn't entirely true because <laughs> I then started thinking well I can't have a dance you know I mean this is a kinder transport this isn't a dance they're not dancing on the train and dancing off the boat when they get to uh, to Britain mm. um, so I thought well okay I'll, I'll play the dance motif down a little bit but it kept coming out again and it does come through and then I uh, began I think I talked to Amy briefly about it and thought about it myself and and then I thought well why can't there be a dance or a moment of dance an element of dance why can't that be there in the variation um, and there's even one or two moments where it almost tips over into something quite wild but I felt the right thing to do was not to let the wildness take over what I should be doing is hinting at dance hinting at a moment where things might go uh, crazy if you like but to keep that under keep that softened in some way and that the meditative and melancholic nature of it should remain throughout mm. the piece mm. so i had one or two earlier versions where the dance motif was much stronger and where it had taken over during this conversation with bill i asked him if he would send me some of these early recordings and he did Here's a clip from a version he felt was a bit too unbridled, and thus ended up on the cutting room floor. was something in the back of my mind which may sound a bit corny about trying to capture the moment of departure when the children left their homes in Germany or Austria yeah. to try to capture something of what it must like what it must have felt like to leave their parents and to travel and at one or two points in the original piece I had some 
train sounds mm. and then I rejected those. I thought, I don't want that. That's too impressionistic. Yeah. Um, I want to get something of the mood. And when I was thinking of this, I was thinking obviously of sadness. But then as I say, this song kept tipping towards something dance-like. Yeah. And then I began to reflect more on the positive aspects of the kid of transport, escape meaning freedom. It doesn't just mean loss. It means stepping out somewhere maybe you've not stepped before and feeling that you can step. Yeah. Whereas living in Nazi Germany for Jews, you weren't allowed to, to be in particular places, in many places in the public realm. Um, and and I just thought maybe the, the, the more dance-like sections or the hints towards dance suggest a stepping out a freedom that is entirely a part of that whole process. And yeah. there's no reason why it shouldn't be there. In fact, it needs to be there. Yeah. And maybe even when they were leaving Germany, they might have felt this, not just loss over the fact that they no longer see their parents or not see them for many years, but maybe there was already a sense of being able to breathe. Yeah. The original melody is quite, is, I suppose, meditative, but it's not tragic. But yeah. there are one or two moments later on where I felt there was a deeper sadness coming through. Um, and maybe there I was already thinking of what happened to their parents and their, many of their siblings and also maybe two of some of the negative experiences they underwent when they arrived in, in Britain. It, it wasn't all plain sailing, to use a metaphor from the experience itself, anything but. But to actually go the whole way and allow these feelings a total freedom at that moment yeah. wouldn't be quite right. The best I can do is to hint, yeah. is to indicate, if you like, Right. Um, almost like questioning someone. So, 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 was it was it like that for you, or were there moments when, but not? Oh, it must have been. You know, that's not yeah. how I could do the piece. Oh, it must have been like this. Right. And I think you're right. There's this sense of, I can't impose what I think must it must have felt like on someone. You know, yeah. what right have I got to do that? The very the best I can do is is ask questions, maybe, and yeah. perhaps that's what the piece also does. Here's another clip from the writing process that ended up being scrapped. As you'll hear, in this version, Bill seems to be exploring a more tragic, less playful take on the melody. As an artist and songwriter myself, listening to Bill grapple over these melodies and the emotions they might stir up inside of the listener is astounding. You see, writing about your own pain and trauma is a difficult task in itself, but trying to do that with another person's story or group experience in mind is a whole different battle. When you're writing music, it'll be the same with you. You, you, you might be having a top, you might have a topic, uh, a theme and a topic, but but there's something else going in there. There's you going in yeah. there too. And, and it's not just about you're trying to re represent something, what you think it must have been like. Mm -hmm. 
but there's some part of your own experience finding expression, which has nothing to do with the kinder transport. And, but yeah, I, well, well, let me let me put this for the record. I think writing it, I was thinking of the kinder transport the whole time, but I'm sure that what flowed into that also reflected my own personal experience of my own life. Mm. And so the sadness that went in there had to do with the topic. Of course it did. But it was also related in some way to my own experiences. I don't think otherwise we we can connect with what we're doing. Right. The theme of loss, for instance, is a human subject, and we can all lose you know, friends, family, people, more generally, uh, our previous lives, whatever. We can lose things hmm. um, under different different circumstances and in different ways with far greater degrees of pain. But loss is still a, a common experience, um, and so I suppose in trying to imagine what it must have been like for the kinder, I could tap in to some of my own experiences. If you're unfamiliar with Quellen and why Bill's song and the entire keepsakes of Kinder Transport Project means so much to us, let me explain. Two of our founders are George and Hannah Miley, and at the age of seven years old, Hannah was actually one of the 10,000 children who escaped Germany in the Kinder Transport. Last year, George and Hannah, along with six other people from Germany and the U.S., formed Quellen as a platform to share resources and cultivate restoration. As Bill, Amy, and Caroline work so hard to honor kinder transportees and make sure their stories are passed down, they have Hannah Miley and countless other names in mind. And we can't help but see how their efforts align with our heart to heal the past, transform the present, and guide the future. You, you start to think more about, gosh, what does that mean to us today? The kinder transport and, mm. and what Hannah and, and others went through and how they talk about it and feel and think about it now. And that puts their past lives very much in the present in a mm. way. And, and maybe that encourages us to think more about our own lives and what we went through. It's not comparable, of course, but it, we still went through things. Um, and we probably reflect on those more if we're with people who who do that as much as someone as as much as someone like Hannah does, you know. Wow. Uh, it's certainly been my experience of talking to Holocaust survivors, and um, that it has it has transferred to the way I think about my own life to a degree. Shortly, we'll listen to Roots in its entirety. But before we do, I wanted you to hear Bill's response when I asked him about the meaning behind the title Roots. Even if many of the kinder did not feel they were Jews, had no connections with Jewishness, their experience is unthinkable without it. If only because the Nazis never let them forget that they had Jewish roots. Mm. They may not have felt Jewish at all, but it was like, well, we think you are, and I'm afraid you're going to suffer for it. Mm. Um, and for many Jews, of course, they did feel Jewish and were Jewish. So there were different levels of of connections to these roots. But in a way, when the Nazis started persecuting Jews from 33 onwards and defining who was and who wasn't a Jew, they were declaring roots. They were saying, this is where you come from and this is who you still are, mm. whether you feel that way or not. And I think it must have made a tremendous impact on many, many people's, especially young people's lives. And now, this is Roots by Bill Niven. Thank you. 
Thank you.